Hello and welcome to For What It's Earth, your nature, environment, climate change, sustainability podcast, which asks, is there anything that you and I can do to save the planet? I'm Emma. I'm Lloyd. And the answer to that is yes. Thank goodness. Okay, I we hope can go home now. 50 plus episodes. Um... Microphones off. Yes, this is 56. Did you know that? Episode 56. Oh, my word. Good we're, lord. We're, we're heading for the big 100. Do we need to start discussing what we do for the 100th episode? Like, is there a plan? Or is it like we a need to live come up show? With a plan. Are we <gasps> doing some sort of dance based save the planet show? Are we going to drop in on COP26 or whatever it is? Well, listen, I, I really like two of those options. And I'll be very honest with you the dance based option, I'm taking that off the table right now. Unless okay. you want to do a solo dance show, which you're very welcome to do. But I love the. F- Maybe we should go to COP. Maybe we should do a live show. Should we just pretend uh, she was make up country and pretend to be their ambassadors? <laughs> yes, <laughs> absolutely. Um, we're from a little known nation called Ford. It's Earthshire. We're um, <laughs> just off the coast of Britain. Um, I mean, listeners, Massive if you've got any better ideas there. for us, let us know. That would be really cool. <laughs> well, let's let's crowdfund some ideas for our 100th episode. Maybe we can get Greta on. Yeah, maybe. We've probably got at least a year until our 100th, so we've got time to make friends with her. Or should we be really special and go off the other end and get someone who's not related to the environment whatsoever? What, talk to like just Donald get like, Trump or something? Just get like Liam Gallagher. <laughs> I've heard he's not doing much these days. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, well, here we go. Call out listeners, if you are friends with any celebrities that have absolutely nothing to do with planet saving and might be at a loose end, let us know. Surprisingly, we're very interested. It's going to be a spin-off series. (laughs) Lloyd, what are we actually talking about today? Um, Let me check my notes. (laughs) Um, Carbon. (laughs) We're talking about carbon capture. We are indeed. It's going to be a silly one. I can feel it. Uh, yes. Before we derail this any further, what one good thing have you done this week? This week, I'm going to be honest, not a great week for me in terms of um, actively pursuing things. I mean, I haven't like, I wouldn't say I've regressed at all from like the things we've said in this segment in the past, <laughs> but I haven't managed to add another feather to my cap yet this week i mean your, so, your cap is very well I was hoping we already, could just, at least so thank you i was hoping i'm, I'm going for a full full veil of feathers um <laughs> just I, a just a big birdie cloak <laughs> <laughs> what is this episode <laughs> i was hoping we could instead mask my deficiencies and celebrate some of the listeners things things. they've done instead yes i hopefully be inspired by love that idea so um every every wednesday on our instagram is that because you haven't got anything either uh, absolutely how did you know um (laughs) every wednesday on our instagram our listeners put us to shame because i always ask you know let's know what one good thing you've done for the planet and then we can all share some ideas um so yeah that's that's a really good idea so you and i are going to have to pick up some of these in future so let me have a quick scroll see what we've got up to uh, asked for a doggy bag in a restaurant for my leftovers because I hate food waste. That's oh, a good one. I like that. That's a good one. You know one. me, big on big on reducing food waste. I think I just um, feel pressured to finish the whole plate. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay, this this one's a really good one. I got my students to calculate their carbon footprint, and each of us made our own sustainability pledge. That is freaking awesome. Yes, to getting your students involved. 
That's really cool. Who, who, who is that from? I well, this is the thing. They're all anonymous slash um, because your name disappears after like twenty four hours. I've forgotten who did that. But that's okay, very well, very if cool. You, if that was you, let us know. Rem- remind me that it was you. Yeah, um, we've got a lot of people who are repairing their their clothes and buying second hand. Oh, that's really cool. Yes. Uh, somebody has started Circular collecting. Economy, baby. Yeah. Somebody started collecting crisp packets for TerraCycle. That's good because they're really hard to hard to recycle. Nice one. I, I didn't realise you were going to finish that with for TerraCycle. I thought you were going to like just collecting, like you'd collect like for stamps. fun. I mean, yeah. There's probably a few vintage walkers that you can find on a beach clean if you're really looking to up skips. the collection. Yeah. Oh, I love skips. I haven't seen skips. In I had a long some time. skips recently. You know. Have you? Mm, How was yeah. that experience for you? just like being transported back to when you're seven years old and you put skips in your cheese sandwich oh did you never do that no the skips never lasted long enough near me to be made into some kind of supplementary meal well we had very different childhoods (laughs) clearly clearly um okay what else we got uh, somebody has got their RSPB and Bug Life memberships. Very good. Very good. Good way to put your money oh, to, to good use, really isn't it? Good, if you can um, afford to support conservation organisations. Yeah, you know what? I, I wish I... I am looking to get an RSPB membership now because we went somewhere recently where you could have got free parking if you were an RSPB member. Hmm. I was thinking, Many oh, perks. I wish I, was I wish I... Ah. That's how they get you. Somebody has made their own peppermint tea from their own homegrown peppermint plant rather than using tea bags. Love this one. Oh my word, you've literally cut out every other step. This is great. I know exactly who this is. Uh, this is our good friend Hannah, who was absolutely amazed the other day when I told her you could do this. So <laughs> well oh, done, Hannah. Welcome to peppermint tea. Um, we've got a couple of people who are using plastic-free conditioner and soap bars. Very nice. Oh, somebody has collected rainwater so that they can water the plants indoors with rainwater. Lovely, reducing your uh, water footprint and giving your old plant babies the good stuff. Oh, hang very on. Very good, very good. This, okay, this, this has to be listener of the week, actually. Somebody has volunteered packing organic veg boxes to reach low-income families. That's fantastic. Yeah, that's... That massive, wins. massive rounds of applause. How brilliant is that? That's, that's yeah, awesome. But uh, yeah, so basically the listener's are doing better than we are at the moment and have some brilliant ideas and are all wonderful. That's really nice. That's really diverse ideas as well, which is very good to hear. It's great. I love it because, like I said, we ask every Wednesday and you never know what people are going to come up with and sometimes they're super creative and will be things that like we've never thought about and I've definitely pinched a couple and and copied them before. So, bloody well done. Look at our little community. They're amazing. Well done. Is there like a name for people who listen to For What It's Earth? You know, like um, people who are fans of the killers are called like the victims or um, people listen to the podcast. My favourite murder are called Murderinos. Oh, my God. We need a name for our gang. Earthies. <laughs> our, our Earthies. Mm. Our Earthies. Mm, I don't know. Um, watch this space, guys. We'll either come up with one or you can suggest something better. Foey f- 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 fol- follows. Foey <laughs> follows. <laughs> But that's going to bug me now. We'll come up with something. We'll come, we'll put it. Yeah. We'll put it to the public, and then we'll then we'll have an internal podcast meeting, and maybe and put it to a vote or something. or something. Who knows? 
oh my god we need merch we need you know we need to do some new uh some new like t-shirts and stuff don't we with our shiny new absolutely gorgeous logo that's a good point we haven't discussed the new logo yet we will get onto topic eventually at some point but um if you haven't noticed already listeners check out our gorgeous new logo our, our lovely artwork from jasmine rogers isn't it isn't it striking i'm obsessed with it i i think it's just it's so cool it's so us Every little nugget in it is very for what it's earthy, and I'm I'm dead chuffed. I'm really happy with it. Shall we crack on with the main the main event? I've got to edit this tonight before bed. If you're listening to this on the day of release, we recorded this yesterday. So Emma still hasn't gone to sleep. Let's <laughs> let's get on. Let's get on with what we're supposed to be talking about rather than Taylor. She's still in some office somewhere. Podcast therapy. <laughs> Carbon storage. Lloyd. Carbon storage hit me with a definition because i know you've got one well the thing is i feel like we've got different definitions because oh my research seems to have come in the form of human artificial carbon storage so where humans have actively built things to take carbon out of the air effectively Mm. Um, which i guess is what all carbon capture is is taking carbon dioxide out of the air to combat um climate change and uh, rising CO2 emissions in our atmosphere. But I know that you have done much more research on more natural solutions, right? Yeah, so we, we've gone... It's, it's a pod of two halves, um, because the act of taking carbon out of the atmosphere um, can occur in two main different strands, can't it? So you've got all of the cool, crazy, epic technology like you said, sucking it out. And I've gone for nature-based solutions and using nature and different habitats and different landscapes to harness what nature does best, sequester carbon in a natural, life cycle kind of way. Nice. Was that, was that enough of a straight, definition? Straight from the BBC article. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Okay, yeah, so I think what people quite often think about when they think carbon capture probably is the technology side of things. Mm. So carbon capture, in terms of artificial carbon capture, it's quite often termed um, either CCS, which is carbon capture storage, or CCUS, which is carbon capture usage and storage. So there's also the usage step in there. So I think the most established kind of carbon capture is technologies that stop carbon dioxide from reaching the atmosphere, um, contribute to global warming by basically fitting factory chimneys and the outputs of heavy industry with some sort of filters usually solvent filters um so the idea is then you collect gas in these filters right before it has a chance to reach the atmosphere but usually i think it'd be done either before or after you burn the fossil fuels don't ask me how um and then (laughs) the gas is basically then piped to other places um where you can use it or store it store it depending on what your um method preferred method is and now a lot of it then gets injected deep underground and there's something weirdly poetic about um putting the carbon release from fossil fuels back to whence it came i like that Uh, full circleness of that almost like cheating the system though isn't it yeah we got our energy back you go for a bit back underground off you pop yeah see you in a few more Um, millennia so the the what's quite interesting is the usage thing that comes into it is that this co2 can actually be useful so it could um 
carbonate drinks, which is probably the, the least of our concerns. We can use it to make plastics. We can even turn it into a synthetic fuel and effectively help us make more hydrogen fuels, which it itself is clean burning. So obviously you're still making the CO2 in the first place, so it's more of a carbon neutral fuel by that point. And there are companies which pipe their uh, waste CO2 or the CO2 that's collected even or sequestered back into greenhouses. Um, I found one which they use it to grow pickles. Oh, cool. Of all things. So a big reason we need carbon capture storage technology is because heavy industries, especially so ones that make fertilizers or steels or cements, um, they're very difficult to adapt to run on cleaner energy. So you kind of are very limited by your options. So, it's a, so this is sort of the next best thing to run it, running it clean um, is to filter out everything afterwards. So we get really varying um, estimates of how quickly this carbon capture technology can help meet our climate targets. So it sort of depends which picture you're painting it with. So the national grid says CCUS, if we use it alongside renewables, that's a big if, could turn the UK's electricity system's carbon emissions negative by 2033. Righto. Which seems very optimistic. Mm. Um, so do we trust the national grid, the biggest well, electricity supplier in our country? Well, I think we're naturally sceptical, though, just in general, aren't we? Sceptical of good news when it comes to the planet. It does very wildly, is what I will say. So, yeah, that's the sort of technology where it's more based around scrubbing out the emissions as they're going into the air from these factories. Mm. But perhaps the more exciting stuff we can talk about, because we're all about cutting-edge kapow. It's... <laughs> There are now prototypes being built which are a bit more sci-fi. It's more about drawing the CO2 directly from the air, so back from the air. And so the point of this technology, of course, is that you can draw down CO2 that was made at any time, any place. So it's not just a case of this one factory we're going to scrub out the CO2. It's the CO2 that was produced um, 20 years ago Mm. before we had an idea what was going on. So there are quite a few different ways to do this uh, carbon capture technology. Uh, which we call Direct Air Capture, DAC. Uh, There's several ways to do DAC. Um, One system, which is from the company Carbon Engineering, they use fans to draw the air down um, across uh, a filter, which has got lots of potassium hydroxide solution. And the point of the potassium hydroxide solution is it takes it from the air and you then pipe this into calcium hydroxide, which... I'm sure everyone instantly recognises that as builder's lime. There we go. Yes, <laughs> So what you're supposed to be doing is making... It's on the tip of my of tongue. Course. Of course. So what you're supposed <laughs> to be doing is making lots of limestone. Oh, cool. Which can be sieved off. So then you've got literally the CO2 has been turned into flakes. Mm. And then you can just um, decompose those to make pure CO2 and that's removed entirely just as CO2. That's amazing, so, isn't it? To turn something that, is that amazing. you kind of see as like an invisible enemy into something tangible that you can, pump, like yeah. said, crumble in your hands. That's Suck very cool. Yeah. yeah. Now that is cool. And like I said, there, look, there are different companies who are working on this. It's still early days. A lot of it is in the prototyping stages and really small plants, which is kind of the problem because we need to start scrubbing gigatons of CO2 per year. Mm, out get those of Henry Hoovers up in the atmosphere already. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we need to be doing that as soon as possible if we want to meet our climate targets for 2100, which is, well, if we want to meet the target for keeping 
warming below 1.5 degrees, you need to be scrubbing about 36 gigatons per year, which is huge because this one company, Carbon Engineering, I was looking at, um, they currently, their plant at the moment scrubs a ton of CO2 from the air every year. Oh, gosh. But like I said, it's a prototype. They're expanding. Um, their next one is supposed to be 1 million tons per year per plant. Oh, I, I love that exponential growth. We've yeah, done one ton. Million done. me. Yeah. Million next. Let's do it. Let's go for the, let's, let's go for a billion. Um, so, I mean, and then the advantage of that is it's kind of like cookie cutter. Uh, once you've built one factory that can scrub a million, you can build more factories. Great. Green jobs. Lovely. Green jobs. Love it. Fantastic. And a load of companies are investing into this sort of technology. So um, Microsoft, ExxonMobil, who obviously kind of caused a problem in the first place, but let's uh, skim over that, shall we? Um, <laughs> now, the problems are, obviously, like I said, the scale that we need you are going to probably be using by 2100 a quarter of the world's electricity to power these plants. Oh, of course. So, which is why we need renewables, obviously. So it can't just be one or the other. It needs to be both. And then, I mean, there's also problems with, can we get that much potassium hydroxide? Because that's at the Good moment, point. Like Where does that come from? Twice as much as the earth produces or the world produces currently. Oh. Um, and then you need to ship that around, et cetera, et cetera. But you could argue those are problems that we'll address when we get to it, I suppose. Like the first thing is getting technology up and running. Yeah, and I think I think um, that really underscores the point that like there is no one perfect solution. Like this can't be the only thing that quote unquote saves exactly. the planet. That it needs to be it can be a really important part of it, but we cannot lean on it to entirely scrub us of our carbon sins or be the only people- option, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think people are generally starting to realise this because, I mean, I know the government has certain grants available for, uh, which I'll get into in a, in a second, for um, out there schemes to scrub carbon and um, fight climate change in general. So I think generally governments are sort of aware of that, that you need like a real blend. You can't just do one or the other. Mm. But at the same time, I know there is a concern that a lot of industry bodies are using the promise of carbon capture as a sort of magic bullet mm. and a sort of way to say like, oh, then we'll just carry on what we're doing because we can just scrub it straight out of the atmosphere, even though it's clearly not there yet. Mm. And we can't be scrubbing more carbon outside out of the atmosphere. We've got plenty, there's, there's <laughs> plenty, plenty that there. we need to get rid yeah, of already. We, we need to make a good dent in what's already there rather than just yeah. reaching a zero in terms of moving for like, you just, just, just bringing back what you're currently emitting to zero is not enough to make a difference. Yeah. We need to bring the entire level lower. It's all comes into the whole greenwashing debate we're having mm. um, with Juliet Davenport of good energy, because some companies, it's possible that they could say, hey, you know, oh, we're going to go carbon neutral by 2050. Way. But that could be based on the promise of carbon capture technology later, mm. which obviously isn't there yet. So it's not yet a guarantee. So it's there's a risk that people can perceive this as a magic bullet or we can let companies use Mm. it as a bit of a shield. Now, having said all those downsides about power, uh, very, very recently, I'm pretty sure in the last couple of days, um, as I said, there's there's, uh, UK government grants for startups and prototype builds for technologies that fight climate change and will remove carbon from the air. So, so one of these grants, uh, a quarter of a million pounds, which probably isn't that really that much for uh, what we're talking about here, uh, has gone to 
a group which is led by Sizewell C. Now, Sizewell C is the proposed new nuclear power plant, right? Mm. Which is going to be built, um, God, where is it? Suffolk, I think. Now, their plan is to make the most efficient carbon capture there has ever been because it rather than run on traditional power, it will run on um, the temperature or the heat created by the nuclear power plant. Cool. Okay. Which is cool because, I mean, I'm not going to get into a debate now about nuclear energy, uh, but if that does go ahead, then it's kind of free residual power, which, you know... Might as well be put to good if it's to good use. Low yeah. cost, yeah. But do you want to hear the coolest one that I found for carbon capture? No, do you know what? Pass. Oh, of course I want to hear the coolest one. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, so, well, I've heard all these other ones, so I'm pretty satisfied. Bit tired, actually. Yeah, no, go on. What, what, what have you got? What have you found? Um, so the coolest one I found was... Now, this is really new. I'm pretty sure this is dated from about five hours ago. Um, so... <laughs> So this grant, again, a quarter of a million pounds, I'm guessing it came from the same uh, government fund, uh, has gone to a group led by University of Exeter, big up, Woo! Uh, Two Plymouth Marine right Laboratory, and Brunel University London, and something called the TP Group. And their plan is to take CO2 out of seawater. Okay, you're going to have to talk me through this one. Well, you know how earlier we were saying um, with the carbon capture technology that takes air, uh, yeah, we were saying earlier with the carbon capture technology that takes CO2 out of the air, so you're like pulling in all this air mm. with fans and stuff, right? Well, the problem with that is that you have to bring down a lot of air in order to get at what is pretty much 0.5% of the air. Right, yeah. So CO2 makes up about 0.5% of our air at the moment, okay? So then you're actually spending a lot of energy bringing all this air in for when there's not that much CO2 in it comparatively. Mm-hmm. So their argument is... There's a natural process going on with the oceans where CO2 is dissolved into the oceans. Great. That's a natural CO2 sink. And we, um, being biologists, of course, Emma, we know that ocean acidification is a problem where there's too much CO2 in the water, for example. Mm. So they're saying what you do is pretty much pump in seawater to your facility. You make it more acidic very temporarily, which helps bubble the CO2 out of the water. You then get a concentrated CO2 stream. So not all this air with a little bit of CO2 in it. It's just CO2, which you can extract and store or use. As we said earlier, it's got some other uses. So then you put the seawater with less CO2 in it back into the sea where it came from, and it can take up more CO2. And it does the job for you, effectively. Well, this is fantastic. Yeah, it's very cool. So they are planning. Yeah. So the project is called Sea Cure. And the word cure is in big letters, so I'm assuming that's an acronym for something. They are building a pilot plant very soon, hopefully, to remove 100 tonnes of CO2 a year to start with, which is a good start. And the best bit, they're going to use wind power to drive the whole process. Oh, fantastic. They've thought of everything. I love it. I love it when they do that. We should probably have a, um, an episode soon where we follow up on those uh, like crazy schemes we talked about a few times. Right, yeah, we should see if we can... Like, where are they now? How did they go? Yeah, that would be really cool. Or, or try and chat to people from those schemes as well. Find out, find out how they're like going. like child of our time, but, but crazy schemes. <laughs> we should catch up with them every couple of years. Hey, how you doing? Want to come to our 100th episode live show, Dance Off? Any uh, CO2 scrub? Did you say Dance Off? <laughs> no. 
Are you, are you open to the idea of a dance off? No, I'm not even slightly open to it. I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so those are some of the promising technologies or the more exciting technologies um, in terms of carbon capture. Emma, I'm going to pass the baton over to you, the met- metaphorical carbon captured baton. Lovely. Take it away. Natural sequestr- sequestration. Yes. So obviously new technology, very exciting, huge potential. But we cannot ignore the fact that the technology for sequestering carbon already exists in a myriad forms and has long existed way before us and, and, and cracked on and used carbon for, for use of it. I mean, Mother Nature is powered by carbon. So all ecosystems, pretty much, when they're healthy, can store a really immense amount of carbon in things like vegetation. So often you think, okay, carbon storage, right? Well, trees, will bung up some trees. Um, but you can also store a lot of carbon in things like soils and sediments. So my research predominantly is going to be looking at the different habitat types that we've got, their potential for storing carbon and how we can use those as part of our kind of like strategy for planet planet saving stuff. So uh, just a couple of weeks ago, Natural England, as part of the Net Zero by 2050 plans, published something called the Carbon Storage and Sequestration by Habitat Report. Lovely jubbly. Mm, very time, comprehensive, very long document. But um, but yeah, it, it has a look at all of the different habitat types that we've got available in the UK. So apologies to our many millions of international listeners. Some of this will still be pretty relevant, but this is um, quite UK focused. <laughs> But it, um, we can only do so much. <laughs> we can't cover everywhere. Wait for our world tour when we reach our thousandth episode. Um, but so some some of the highlights of this report were basically that some of the highest carbon stores that we currently have in the UK are our peatlands and our bogs. Which, if you go back to episode forty eight, we did some we did some a lot of bog chat there, didn't we? So that, so that's where we're storing our carbon. But one of the habitats with the highest sequestration rates is what you would expect is kind of our, our native woodlands. But it's not all about trees and bogs because a lot of our other habitat types have got a really important part to play in this general carbon sequestering puzzle that we're going to put together. So things like salt marshes and also seagrass meadows are two really important types of Ooh, habitat types. Yeah. yeah, it's really cool. So so what I'll do is talk you through how each of these habitat types work. Um, but Basically, for us to be able to harness these natural storage capacities, we need to make big changes to how we value land and how we manage land. So um, it's all very well and good saying that native broadleaf woodland is a really reliable carbon uptake uh, mechanism. But unless we start to value these woodlands or unless we start to like incentivise land use changes from things like agriculture to grassland meadows or supporting uh, bog habitats instead of turning them into agriculture uh, not a lot will change and it's also exciting for me so for me with my nature restoration hat on you can't untangle biodiversity loss and climate change they're twin crises that are so interlinked so what's really exciting for me is that not only will a lot of these habitat restoration works have an awesome impact on kind of the UK's ability to sequester and to lock away carbon. But it also brings so many other amazing benefits, like like wetlands will help mitigate flood and drought prevention, as do woodlands, um, which will also kind of lower and stabilise local temperatures and all of this habitat restoration, because we are one of the most nature-depleted so com- countries in the world. And all of this 
will bring together biodiversity support wildlife populations, particularly if they're in a connected network. Because there are so many, there are so many what we call positive feedback loops as well, mm. aren't there? In, in, in nature, where something happens, it leads to a knock-on effect, and that in turn feeds back into the first thing that happened and makes that worse. Mm. Um, and you're right, like fixing one problem f- helps fix the other problems. Like seagrass, I'm really hoping we do a seagrass episode in the future, by the way, because seagrass as you said, big carbon sink. And then also these re, um, these efforts to reestablish seagrass obviously helps many fish and invertebrate communities, but also helps stabilize sediment and protects communities from flooding and wave damage. So it's a win, 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 win. Absolutely. And a lot of that carbon, so a lot of people will, so, I mean, we're jumping ahead to my seagrass section here. So we'll start with seagrass at the top. Um, you would you would assume that a lot of that carbon is stored in the vegetation itself, but actually the kind of long-term carbon storage when it comes to a seagrass meadow, uh, like things like kelp as well, is that actually when that organic matter dies and sinks to the bottom, it forms these sludgy sediments, which, as you said, are amazing habitats, particularly for like breeding fish and little invertebrates and stuff. But um, that's where the carbon will be stored. And it's a similar story on land. So... Mm. Yes, obviously, if we're looking at trees, there is a huge amount of carbon storage in the kind of woody tissue, right? That's what you expect. But also a lot of other vegetation-based carbon storage, yes, it takes it in while it's alive. And then when it dies, when the, the, the organic, whatever it is, a plant or something dies, that organic material then gets locked away in the soil if the soil is healthy and is allowed to stay healthy or indeed if it falls into a river it'll kind of break down and end up becoming the sediment at the bottom and that's where it gets stored and kept and as long as we stop bothering things like our soils uh, and our riverbeds which is something we tend to do quite often it will stay locked there and, and and hang out and be much better there than it would be in the atmosphere so, um, this definitely fits into what we were saying earlier that you need um you can't just have one solution it's got to be several mm, yeah. or as many as possible it's got to be mixed because yes uh habitat restoration is vitally important not just for carbon sequestration but for many other reasons as we discussed but having said that we can't rely simply on like replanting forests and replanting trees which i think we've talked about in, as well in the podcast at some point yeah. where you can't just necessarily plant trees and expect the things to be fine because the land area you need to have the same effect as what we hope carbon capture storage will have you need like five times the land mass of india to plant your trees Mm. whereas you can obviously take up a lot less room with carbon capture storage technology however that comes with its own problems, as we said earlier, with like power and materials and everything else. Mm. So it needs to be a real patchwork. Yeah. I mean, so so on trees as well, one of the other things is it always has to be right species, right place, right time. You know, mm. so you can't just buy a field and bung in some really exciting looking, exotic, non-native species because they're not going to, A, they're not going to do as well in your climate. And even if they do do okay in your climate, they're not going to have the knock-on effect of supporting native biodiversity, which has become has evolved to survive on your native kind of broadleaf yep. trees. Um, so did you know also that the rate, so the rate of carbon sequestration per tree obviously varies per species, depending on how they live their life, but also the rate of carbon sequestered slows down with age because they kind of, they kind of rush to grow to start oh. with, don't they? And then when they become nice old trees, yeah. they kind of slow down a bit like we do and hang around. Which makes sense. Cause as I was saying earlier with carbon, um, 
usage technology being pumped into greenhouse, for example, it's all used in the growth mm. stage, like growing vegetables. But that, I, I never thought that. Yeah. I, I, I never thought about it slowing down at different points of the life cycle. That's really interesting. Yeah, but I mean, old trees are also super important because they're already an important carbon store as, as well as yeah. biodiversity hotspot. And one case study I saw, uh, particularly on this whole topic of like where, when, who, what and how, um, was if you've got like a, a quite intense forest around the border of the forest, you could plant an orchard because orchard, great, you're, it's, you're, you're growing trees, you're sequestering carbon in that tree growth, but you're also providing a food service that meets kind of a human demand for needing nutrition. And orchards are fantastic for, you know, pollinators and birds and all sorts. So it's kind yeah. of combining these habitat types and not just simply going, hey, do you know what? I'm going to plant a million pine trees all in you know, rows next to each other as a monoculture. Cacti, cacti everywhere. <laughs> exactly. In the desert with which we'll soon live. Um, so yeah, it's, 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 everything is so amazingly nuanced with nature, but it's fascinating how everything interlinks and how, like you said, by making a couple of smart changes, you can make a million yeah. wonderful positive inroads. One interesting thing as well, um, while I remember it, because I want to sound really smart, um, I read that a problem at the moment with knowing how effective our current number of trees and foliage is doing in terms of carbon capture is that it's very hard to estimate mm. their size and their coverage. Because if you look at like maps from satellites, for example, yeah, you can tell how much area is covered by foliage, but you can't necessarily tell how tall the trees are, or how um, thick their leaves are. So that's hopefully going to change because... Now, on the ISS, for example, they've got... No, on the ISS? Or is it just... Sat well, in space, around us at this very moment, um, <laughs> satellites have got LiDAR technology, so they can actually send, like, billions of little beams down and actually tell exactly how dense a tree is, how tall it is. Um, yeah, I just thought that was really cool, that our technology is helping to improve our knowledge of trees around. Because you kind of think that in this day and age, you can just, like, look at a map and be like cool the computer's worked out there's x number of yeah. trees but um yeah no it's cool I'll stop and on, uh, no love a bit of babble but um and on <laughs> on like estimating and trying to make so particularly for if you're say you have a, a bit of land and you're trying to think okay which habitat type shall i support here to try and sequester carbon it's also really hard to compare habitat type for habitat type like for like because there are so many you know, different ways to try and calculate carbon storage um, and so many different yeah. methods. And particularly as well, if you're trying to compare a terrestrial ecosystem to a marine ecosystem, the way that carbon is used is completely different. Like you said, carbon is taken in from the air on land and it's taken in from the water under underwater, obviously. Um, <laughs> so, so physically trying to compare, if you were to sit down and say, right, what's better in general? Do we want seagrass meadows or do we want, you know, amazing grasslands? Um, I mean, yes, you can make some kind of still quite useful comparison, but you can't, there isn't this like exactly like for like element that I think mm. a lot of people sometimes find comfort in. You have to accept that nature is a bit nuanced. Um, are you ready for another habitat type? Yeah, go on. What, what do you fancy? Would you like farmland and kind of soil or would you like uh, rivers, wetlands and lakes? Give me some wetlands. Okie dokie. So... Carbon is stored in the sediment generally in, in, a, in a water body kind of ecosystem. Um, 
you know, this is where plants either in the water will live, photosynthesize and die and build up in the sediment. Or if organic matter from above the water ends up in a river or something, you know, brought in by rainwater or something, then it kind of dies and fits the bottom. But also the problem with water bodies is that there are microbes in the water which respire and they actually produce carbon. So more often than not, actually, water sources are actually a carbon source, not a carbon sink. Yeah. So particularly rivers and moving water, full of microbes. Um, And also, if you think about it, like microbes will respire at any time of day, but plants will only photosynthesize at night. So if you're looking just at like a river, you've got plants photosynthesizing, drawing in taking carbon dioxide out of the water but only during the daytime but at all hours of the day the microbes are like (laughs) that's me being a microbe breathing out uh, carbon so actually quite often rivers can be um not a sink not a source so instead if we're talking about rivers (laughs) yeah so if we're talking about um like moving water you know it's still an incredibly important habitat to look after it plays a huge role in nutrient and carbon cycling Um, but actually lakes and wetlands and standing water are more likely to be useful in terms of like sediment storage particularly as we've said beavers beavers have got the right idea Hit me up. Well, I mean, beavers, beavers will also beavers. create an amazing... Beavers. Eager e- <laughs> beaver beaver wetlands. They create like the most amazing like riparian zones around the water as well. So, I mean, um, because they coppice, which is amazing, beavers will actively manage woodland around them into creating a more flourishing woodland. And if you coppice and new trees grow back, you've got yourself some more carbon being sequestered in the new tree growing back from being coppiced. So, hey. Beavers are good, aren't beavers they? Beavers are great. You know what? There yeah. should be a podcast about beavers and <laughs> someone from an established podcast should produce it. How good would that be? <laughs> that was a really good segue. Yeah, go and listen to the Lodgecast by Beaver Trust, po- <laughs> produced by yours truly and uh, hosted by the wonderful Sophie Pavel and Eva Bishop for all kinds of uh, beaver and climate change nature restoration chat. Oh, I, I, I was talking about another one that I produce. Oh yeah, whatever, like you've got time. <laughs> <laughs> tell me about your beaver podcast um it's called norway and <laughs> it's it's um a mockumentary about beavers a little beaver family um it's voiced by but by jude law oh hello and um bring bring me on board he, that he, project, he does please. he does all all the beaver voices and um, it's a way of communicating how good beavers are for the environment, but f- but through comedy. I like, like it a lot. Satirical, um, understated comedy. <laughs> well, you heard it here first, folks. Lloyd's working on some secret beaver projects with Jude Law. Very nice. He's traded me in for an A-list. Fine. I'm not offended. It's fine. I'm going to talk about soil and farmland to make up for it. Oh, please do. Yeah. So, did you know that grasslands and heathlands will sequester a fair old chunk of carbon as well? Certainly yes, more no, than agricultural land. Good. So less than woodland, less than peat, less than salt marsh, because they don't accumulate woody matter. But actually, um, grassland and heather will store, or heathland will store absolutely loads of carbon in the soil because of their, their root systems, everything going on down there, or the microbe and fungi oh. networks. They are an incredible way of storing carbon as well as as nutrient cycling 
Yeah, so when we plough our agricultural land and churn it all over, yeah, to do some learning. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So when we turn over the soil, we absolutely crash through their their lovely little networks and release a ton of carbon every time we, you know, do a a bit of farming in the spring, technical terms there, of course. So before I, so I'm not going to go on too much about soil, but I'm going to point everyone to a documentary film thing called Kiss the Ground which I watched recently and absolutely loved. It's all about regenerative agriculture and some of the millions of reasons that we need to care about and restore our soils because a lot of our soils are just in absolutely atrocious condition. I would call them dirt rather than soil. So it's on Netflix. Um, It's it's absolutely awesome. There's a bit of a cheesy bit at the end where Jason Mraz plays a song. You'll know when you get there, but the rest of it is really, really, really good, really interesting. What else would Jason Mraz do? (laughs) Hey, he's he's got himself a farm and he's restoring the soil. Um, <laughs> but um, if you're a school or if you're a teacher, uh, which we know we have because somebody's been uh, calculating their carbon footprints with their students, you can get an educational version of this for free, designed for schools, from uh, their website, kissthegroundmovie.com. It's brilliant. Wow. And awesome. also, while we're at it, Biggest Little Farm as well. Lloyd, I'm going to text you these later and make sure you watch them because I think you'll enjoy them. Yeah, do. Biggest Little Farm is just amazing. It's about regenerative agriculture and how you can restore basically an area of total desert with no nutritional value left um, simply through using regenerative agriculture and being like well good to plants. I should probably use my Netflix and Disney Plus for like learning as opposed to just watching Simpsons again. (laughs) I mean, I don't do it very often, but there is some amazing stuff on Netflix when they're not trying to make you watch Friends for the 12th time. (laughs) Um, but yeah, so basically to be able to, so obviously like agriculture is a massive part of the UK. Most of our land is turned over to agriculture. We can't just simply go, hey, stop producing food for us and stop trying to make us self-sufficient as a little island. Um, you need to put in massive hedgerows or allow grassland to flourish um, or plant loads of trees because that's not going to make the farmer any money in their, the way that they currently make money. So what we need is more kind of um, like subsidies and grant schemes that actually support the changing of land use into something that sequesters carbon, boosts biodiversity, and also is helpful for the person that owns the land. Fabulous. Are you listening, government? <laughs> no <A> problem. Kapow. <laughs> That's True. the third time you said kapow today. This is your is new... It? I'm going to get uh, a t-shirt with I, it on. I, I, mm. Something new is getting stale, isn't it? Um, whammy. <laughs> But yeah, so that's that's my lot. I will stop talking to you about different habitat types now. No, I, I loved it. Sorry, that sounded really sincere. I did. <laughs> good, <laughs> good. And it's, you know, it's worth noting as we cap off our episode that um, perhaps we've touched on it already, like carbon sequestration isn't the answer in general. There's no one way to sequester carbon and also sequestering carbon isn't the only solution at all you know it's one of many answers it doesn't give us the green light to keep using fossil fuels and you know stamping on butterflies and stuff because you know we also get you know when when we release when we use fossil fuels and things we we also release like loads of nasty pollutants and um and mm-hmm. other things and causing loads of other problems we need to just like crack on stop using as much in general stop releasing as much carbon in general and try our best to sequester as much of what is being released as we as we blinking well can could have said it better myself. So there we are, everyone. You have had a very lovely journey through carbon capture. God, you've had a, you've had a real lesson today, chat. So you're all ready for the next time 
your pub quiz round is on carbon capture, as they often are. They should be. If we had a pub, there would be a there would be one. So on that note, don't forget you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter for more nonsense and green things. Get involved next week when we ask yeah. you what one good thing have you done for the planet, and let us know what we should call you guys as a as a, what's what's our collective noun for our podcast listeners? The foilers. The f- mm, yeah, something like something, do Foliage. better than that. <gasps> the folet. The folet. There's something there. There's something there. But whatever you call yourselves, just remember that um, everything we've said in this <laughs> podcast, um, they are our own views. We we thought of them. Our neurons fired to produce them. They are not uh, those views held by our respective employers, our friends, our bank managers, our hairdressers. They're ours. Absolutely. Just so you know. Yeah. So if you've got a problem with any of it, have a shower at us and nobody that we are employed by or are associated with. I would never be a lawyer, will I? Anyway, thanks everyone. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that's in our future, no. <laughs> <laughs> See you soon. Goodbye.